Hello everyone, and welcome to You Scared of This, a podcast where two grown men have watched 50 episodes of Nickelodeon's hit horror anthology series for kids, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And tonight, we talk about the 50th episode. That's right, everyone. It's our 50th anniversary, and I couldn't be more excited. <laughs> not how that works. Man, Eli, how does it feel? 50 years of you scared of this. Definitely not. Dykus has had a rough we were, night, people. We were scared of that when, when man landed on the moon. <laughs> we were scared of that when Nixon resigned. <laughs> we were scared of that uh, when Michael Jackson released the video for Thriller. That was really scary. I like that those are all on the same level for you. <laughs> Look... I wasn't actually there. <laughs> Everything I know about, like, the past prior to my own birth, I know from, like, movie montages. Yeah, from from the movie Forrest Gump and also, I guess, Thriller. Yeah. <laughs> Those are your I two love that cultural... part in Forrest Gump where, he, where he's the inspiration for Thriller. <laughs> How was, like, if he was the inspiration for Elvis, why was Forrest Gump also not the inspiration? Is it because Michael Jackson was alive when... Forrest Gump came out, and so it didn't seem it didn't seem old enough. Man, I don't know. I've never seen Forrest Gump. You've never seen? <laughs> God, look, when... I, I didn't want to make another sad admission on this podcast of a movie I haven't <laughs> actually seen all the way through. But here I've, we are. I've learned more about you on this podcast than I have. Are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> and, I've, look, I, and I, I've already spent I'm like proud. so much time with you that I feel like that should not be possible. I think I've seen most of Forrest Gump, okay. but I've never attempted to watch it to completion. Not like what we're doing with Are You Afraid of the Dark, where we've reached 50 right. episodes. And what better way to celebrate 50 episodes than watching this incredibly mediocre episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? I mean, that's what we've done for most of this show, right? Well, it's certainly what we've done for most of season four of this show. Definitely. Hey, by the way, everyone... I'm Eli Phillips, and that other voice you're hearing is David Dykus. Hello, party people. <laughs> yeah, um, we're watching a fairly middling episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? The 11th episode of Season 4, winding down Season 4, uh, and the 50th episode of the show overall, as we said. We're watching The Tale of the Unfinished Painting. Which is absolutely as scary as it sounds. Yep. Uh, this one was written by Lucy Falcone and directed by uh, show regular David Winning. Yep. And Eli, tell the fine people when this one aired. This episode came out January 7th, 1995. And as we are about to find out, this is, for plot reasons, a Gary episode. No, 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 no. Before we get into the, the meat of this episode, mm -hmm. what little meat there is. This is not a meaty episode. Nope. I think we should give a shout out to all of the new party people who have tuned into the podcast in the last week or so. Yeah, uh, we kind of referenced last week that we hit the 100 plus milestone on Facebook as far as people who like the page, and we are very appreciative of that. Uh, we also went ahead and looked at some of our SoundCloud statistics, and this last week's episode was the most listened to episode by a long shot. Uh, not overall, just for, like, the most single-day listens. We had more people listening to the show in a single day than we've ever had. So to all of the new people who have joined us, uh, welcome and thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. While we're still uh, in the preamble to the episode recap, mm -hmm. 
Uh, Eli, what what else is new? How have you been? Well, as I'm sure everyone is dying to know, I have not seen or really heard a rat since the last time we talked. Yeah, and and I've earned that because I, as much as I hate to say it, I had to to kill some enemies to reach this point, and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> oh, did you? Was was some rat blood shed? No rat blood was shed, but uh, before we recorded last week, I had already disposed of a few rat bodies, mm. and that's hard for me. Uh, I don't know if we've ever said this on the show, but I'm a vegetarian, and so extermination. He never eats rats. I never eat rats, uh, and extermination is something that I'm very uncomfortable with, but, uh, you know, sometimes a baby's got to do what a baby's got to do. Just like in that one episode where they met that really big rat and Chucky got, like, rabies. <laughs> Chucky murdered it. <laughs> Chucky had to learn that some learned about the circle of life yeah. and rats. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's how I'm doing. I'm doing a little bit better just because I, I seem to have finally eliminated all of the invaders into my home, or at least they took the hint. I don't want to give any credit to that uh, exterminator who came because, again... There's not been a dead rat since then, and he literally didn't do anything I hadn't already been doing. I think I just ran them all off before he got here, but at least I'm rat-free. Well, we're all better for it. Yeah. How about you? How are you doing, Dykus? Uh I am fine. I am uh, pretty sleepy. We're recording this at about 1130. At night? And normally we record these at, normally at, like, what, like 10 a.m.? Yeah, we normally do these on, uh, like, a weekday morning, but this, we're we're having to make time. Hopefully it'll make this one more scary. It won't. It won't. Nothing will make this scary. Spoiler alert. One last bit of business we have to take care of. Uh, let's talk about some nude business. Yeah, some Nickelodeon news. Uh, I have one thing to bring to the table this week. All right, let's hear it. According to the reputable journalists at Maxim, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a man, look, I was really stretching this week trying to find something relevant. Uh, Amanda Bynes is being primed for a uh, Nickelodeon comeback. Which is an odd choice, right? Because in the Maxim article specifically, they note that she kind of had a meltdown publicly in like 2012. She had some sort of public meltdown a few years ago that I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, And has been largely off the grid since then, but apparently... Uh, there is some effort to bring her back to Nickelodeon. People are trying to conceive of a new show that she could star in or participate in in some capacity. I'm fine with that. I really kind of take issue, though, with this article, and it's very, very salacious depiction of Amanda Bynes. I mean, we can't Not just really... as an adult. Like, obviously, as an adult, she's done a lot of Maxim-style photo shoots, and that that's what she's into, that's whatever. But, like... I feel kind of uncomfortable when they phrase this as your childhood crush, Amanda Bynes, is coming back. She really got you hard when you were in middle school, right? I mean, to be fair, Dykus, she was my childhood crush. Hmm, maybe I'm unique in this then, because I remember Amanda Bynes' like, heyday being like, one, she was on the show like when I was in like fourth and fifth grade, she was in all that. And then even after that, I never really sexualized her even as i got slightly older and she got her own show i never thought of her that way she was just like too goofy and weird Ah, that's probably what i liked about her uh anyway nude business out of the way should we go ahead and do this 50th episode uh, i guess so I- i'm really not looking forward to talking about this one just because this episode is at once really convoluted and confusing but also painfully slow and boring <laughs> yeah um but let's just 
go ahead and talk about it. We've got to do it sometime, and there's no way we can ignore this. Like, this episode is something of a milestone. So we kick things off with the usual. We're at the Midnight Society fire. Tucker is approaching, but, but he has a little bit of a problem, which is he does not have a story. He pulls Gary aside. He says that he's tried to think of one, but it won't come. I knew you were going to make this pervy. Yeah, this opening scene, <laughs> this opening scene is asking for 14-year-olds to make jokes about it. Tucker is hiding in the bushes or 30-year-olds. Yeah, well, you know. Uh Tucker is hiding in the bushes from the rest of the Midnight Society. He calls Gary over and he says, "This is serious. I've been thinking all week. Nothing's coming. You're just blocked. Stop trying so hard." I've tried and I've tried and I can't make it happen. Nothing's coming. And Gary's like, you're all blocked up. You just put too much pressure on. And I just had my, my, like, I face-palmed and was like, I can't believe I'm going to have to talk to Dykus about this dialogue. Oh. <laughs> well, Tucker at that age, it's it's confusing sometimes. It's a lot of pressure to put on him to, to make it happen, especially in front of an audience like this. Yeah, anyway. But don't worry, Gary is an old pro. <laughs> Uh, he can turn on the magic like that. He starts to offer to take over. He says, don't worry, Tucker, I'm sure you'll think of something. And Tucker says, within the next two minutes? And Gary says, no, by next week. And before he can say anything else, Betty Ann pops up. She sees them, and she's like, hey, what are you guys doing? Come on, let's go to the fire. Uh, they drag Tucker out. Everyone says, whose turn is it? There's an interesting moment here that I wish we got more of. When Sam says, it's Tucker's turn, and Tucker says, yeah, it's me, Frank looks up and says, This better be good. I just had them uh, tucked. And then he gets cut off. Frank's about... What did he just... Yeah, like, Frank's about to say something, and it never goes anywhere. And of course, you know I love the relationship between Frank and whoever his, like, antagonist or victim is. And so I really wanted to know the where that adversary went. for that season. Yeah, his adversary. Uh, but Gary interrupts and says, Actually, Tucker, if you don't mind, I'd love to tell the story this week. I, I've been hit by inspiration, and I really want to tell this story. And Tucker plays along and says, oh, yeah, sure, that's fine. And Gary says, great, you can tell your story next week. And then Gary sits down in front of the fire and says that his story is about inspiration. Which, is it? Nope. Nope, not really. I mean, it's about blocked inspiration. But it's not about inspiration in the way that Gary describes it. This follows that season four theme of very tenuous connections. Uh, he says, what if you could control someone's inspiration? Is this episode about that, Dykus? Uh, no. No. Yeah, he talks about what kind of power that is and how important inspiration is. And then he throws that coffee creamer on the fire and we get the, the tale, tale of, of the, the unfinished, unfinished painting. painting. Yep, and we meet our one young protagonist. Kind of. A, a single protagonist. I'm going to say it's a single protagonist kind of story. Our other supporting character doesn't really show up very much. Yeah, he's, he's ancillary. It, this all focuses on a character named Cody, and she is a young girl with really big shoulder pads. Oh, yes. I'm glad you beat me to that. <laughs> She's wearing a jacket that she clearly stole from, like, a 1980s newscaster. Yeah, um, but that's okay, because her brother is dressed like it's the 80s as well. Uh, we meet yeah. this character played by Jewel State, who was uh, the butthead in the Tale of Watcher's Woods, right? I'm Sarah. It's my first time here. I'm thrilled. Yes, recurring character. She was also in Firefly, I think. Yeah, we talked about how she was in Firefly. I had a yeah. huge crush on her in the Disney show Flash Forward. Anyway, she's back, and she's sitting on a park bench drawing a tree when her brother pops up and spooks her. 
Yeah, we get a conversation between the two of them where Cody explains that she has artist's block. Yeah, she actually sort of says some interesting stuff here. Uh, she shows, she points out the tree that she was drawing to her brother. She says, look over there, tell me what you see. And he says, I see a tree. And she's like, that's the problem, so do I. She says that she's supposed to see something more and that she's supposed to, like, transport people and to create real art, it has to have this meaning to it. And those are all true things. She talks about how she's technically able to capture what she sees, but she's not able to make it meaningful. Uh, And if this episode talked more about that, I would have been really excited because that's actually a discussion that we had a lot in college about how... I was actually going to ask you, since you... uh have a a degree in art how accurate a portrait of an artist this was or if you related it all to her uh situation so when i was in art school and i don't know if this is universal but among my peers we talked a lot about the difference between creative artists and technical artists people who were really really good at at executing their trade accurately and then people who were good at coming up with really interesting ideas And no matter how good you were, you always fell on one side of that spectrum or the other. You were either better at being creative and and coming up with exciting, you know, visuals or concepts, or you were really technically proficient. Um, It always went one way or the other. So for her to talk like this, like, that's a legit thing. People actually get frustrated by, oh... I can draw really, really well, but none of my images are exciting. Or, oh, I have all these great ideas, but I'm not able to execute them as well as I would like to. Um, now, not everyone's, not everyone realizes that about themselves. There were plenty of artists in school who uh, were really, really great technical artists and were not self-aware enough to say, I'm not creative, like Cody is here. Uh, and there were people who were creative that also thought they were technically way better than they were. But that's definitely a discussion that happens. And it made me really excited when this episode first started. Now, I do not have an art degree. I have a degree in broadcasting. So I'm not an expert on any of this. But I am going to throw the idea out there that maybe the reason Cody feels uninspired is because she is sitting in this park full of people and she is drawing the most boring, mundane thing she can see from where she's sitting. I mean, I kind of like trees. You know me, I like plants. I know you like trees. But yeah, landscapes are the are definitely the the least inspired thing a person can draw. So we get this big introductory sequence to show that she's artistically frustrated. She needs she needs a muse. She needs something. And we cut to a scene sometime in the future where she's sitting in the open and she's approached by a strange girl wearing black. Yeah, a sort of fashionable witchy little girl. Very a very 90s look. Yeah. This Girl approaches her, refuses to make any sort of conversation, and actually just kind of runs away when Cody offers to draw her. She runs into a building and drops her hat. Cody picks up the hat, goes to the building, looks for the girl, and is instead greeted by a mysterious curator. It turns out she has wandered into an art gallery called the Hunter Gallery. Yeah, she meets Miss Briar, who is the curator of the Hunter Gallery, and is also the sort of primary artist uh, whose work is on display. Cody is admiring the work, she meets Miss Briar, and the two of them get talking. It's no coincidence that you've come here today, Cody. Come. Let me show you something. Yeah, Cody is looking around and she's amazed by all of the ugly, ugly art that surrounds her. It's ugly. As somebody once said, I may not know art, but I know what I like. 
Yeah, I think uh, and- Chaz Finster. Who was it that said that? It was Chaz Finster. <laughs> <laughs> I may not know art, but I know what I like. <laughs> oh, that's rich, Chaz. <laughs> now let's get down to business. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know he didn't originate it, but that's that's who I'm thinking of, right? What he didn't? <laughs> I, just, I thought that was a Chaz original. <laughs> I just had to clarify that I knew Chaz Finster did not originate that phrase. <laughs> what episode was that? I know that it's the one where he becomes rich. He gets this big glass elephant. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he, uh, he becomes rich by investing in something that Drew is a part of? Is that right? I thought he just won, like, the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes or something, because Pat, Pat Sajak shows up at his door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I'm TV personality Pat Sajak. Do you have any idea why I should be here at your home, 446 Braintree Lane? Because you just won $10 million! That's right. He loses the money because he in, he invests in the earwiz. Yeah, yeah. I knew I knew the earwiz had something to do with it. Don't let's not talk about this too much. We'll have to review it. <laughs> anyway, she meets Miss Briar. Miss Briar has all of these portraits on the wall. You know, you say that they're ugly, and I kind of go along with that. But some of them are not terrible. They're just not particularly exciting. Miss Briar sort of leads her through the gallery to an area of unfinished paintings. Yeah, that she claims she is collected from all over the globe. Yeah, she says that uh, she keeps these unfinished paintings as a reminder of how much work goes into art and how much of a struggle it is to create and finish art. Like, she keeps these here sort of to test herself, I guess. Yeah, we see it. There's actually another girl there named Jenna who is working on finishing one of these unfinished pieces. And Mrs. Breyer offers to let... Cody finished one of the pieces herself as a way to sort of kickstart her creativity, I guess. There are a lot of things that Miss Briar says in this episode that an art teacher would never say. Uh, there were several oh. times where she kind of pissed me off. But this idea of of working within these constraints of her saying, here, just finish this fucking painting. I actually kind of liked that. She is an interesting character. Like, I, you're right. She is a horrible art teacher, as we will soon find out. She's also very obviously evil oh yeah yeah this is one of those situations where a person is, well first of all if a person starts talking to you and they use your first name without you telling it to them don't trust them if you ask that person how did you know my name and they ignore that and continue talking leave and especially if they finish a conversation with you and they go back to their private quarters and open a wardrobe that contains a severed head <laughs> yeah I guess that's the biggest They're red flag. They're probably huh? evil. I'm trying to think of times that that's happened to me where the person hasn't been evil. And now that I look back on it, you're definitely <laughs> right. That should always be like the number one red flag. I, I, I wish I would have reviewed this episode so many times earlier in my life. Would have helped. I mean, this is an educational episode. Yeah. This I, is. I'm gonna, they wouldn't let DJ make this episode unless it taught kids a lesson. This is this was the PSA. Every show has to have a PSA episode, and so this was theirs. I remember that time. Uh, I'm not gonna. Uh, I tried to make a joke about that being like a GI Joe stinger, but <laughs> the, the shit didn't happen. That's all right. Uh, so when you see a severed head in your teacher's wardrobe, first you say no. Yeah, exactly. Then you get out of there, hey kids. There's nothing cooler than being given an unfinished painting. <laughs> really, Sonic? What about drugs? 
Aren't they cooler? <laughs> hey, Planeteers, <laughs> severed heads are bad for the rainforest. <laughs> what were we talking about? Uh, Chaz Finster's glass elephant. Dee Dee, I really must show you my new glass elephant. It's one of a kind. So Miss Briar is very obviously evil, and she does a lot of evil things in this episode. Uh, involving dark magic and severed heads and lying to children but the most evil thing she does is when this other girl is working on a painting she goes over to her and says the fuck are you doing and the girl's like oh the brush you gave me was was too flat and i needed a brush with a little bit finer tip on it and she says you know my philosophy inspiration comes from the artist not from tools only use this one brush i gave you which is terrible advice. You can't see my face right now, but it is pained like someone just punched me in the butthole. That is the most <laughs> awful advice Ugh. any person could give. I remember my teacher lecturing us on how we did not use enough brushes. <laughs> By the time the I got- Artists don't make the art, tools make the art. <laughs> and then she hit you with the brushes. And called me a tool. <laughs> make the art, tool. Uh, anyway, so this pissed me off, but it's it's a plot point, actually. We've come to find out why she's wanting people to only use one paintbrush as they're finishing these unfinished paintings. Uh, that comes a little bit later. First, she invites Cody to take part in this process. She says, hey, why don't you come back here tomorrow and start work on this unfinished painting? It's a painting of a girl, and she's pointing to a dance floor, and there's a handsome young dancer dude on the floor it's like a ballet kind of looking scene um and the girl kind of zones out in this moment yeah she sees this painting and she outstretches her own arm just like the girl in the painting we get a really kind of interesting scene here where we get a close-up of her outstretched hand and we just see another hand reach into frame and take it yeah it's it's very uh creation of man but yeah as soon as this hand takes her hand cody finds herself seemingly inside the painting she's in a ball or at some sort of ballet performance dancing with this handsome stranger what's the song that's playing here is it from swan lake so she dances around with hot dude for a minute and then she snaps out of it she's like i gotta get out of this ball i gotta get out of this ball (laughs) no wait that was something else what is that from it's from Zeke the Plumber. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, was try- I was like, wait a second. I know we've made fun of that before. No, the Mrs. Okra, or whatever her name is, uh, clasps her on the shoulder, and she snaps out of it. And she says, yeah, I'll come back tomorrow and, and work on finishing this, this unfinished painting. And she does. She and, starts working on the painting. And the teacher's like, good, good. I would appreciate that. Uh, just like with the other and girl. And we would be remiss to ignore the plot point in this part of the episode where we do actually see her go back to her quarters and she has an enormous wardrobe that she opens up and inside after she's talked with the girls she goes and consults the mummified severed head that she keeps in her wardrobe yeah uh, the head is is referred to as the hunter in the credits it's a yeah it's a totally like ashen black head with long hair and sort of, like, wrinkled features. Yeah, it's like an old man head, and it's surrounded by, like, candles and 
medallions and paintbrushes. Lots and lots of paintbrushes. And a variety of, like, arcane artifacts. Yeah. My favorite part of this... And she says, oh, we've lured another lamb into our spider's web or something. <laughs> All those poor lambs and spider's webs. I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but she's like, oh, we've got another one. Yeah. My favorite part of this is that in order to create this effect, they basically made a wardrobe and then had a guy stand in it with his head poking through a shelf. Like, yep, that was his costume for the episode was just he had to wear a wardrobe around him. Easiest money that guy ever made. And then and then take himself very seriously, like with his eyes closed and his like face just really placid. I loved it. This head, which we see a couple times throughout the episode. I mean, it's as close as we ever get to a scare. Yeah, it's it's it balances on the razor's edge between incredibly frightening and patently ridiculous. We will. I'd like to talk about it a little bit more at the end. Of course. So Cody comes back the next day. She starts work on this painting. She's told that she's only allowed to use one brush and she keeps getting lost in the painting. As this is happening, Jenna is also working on her painting. Yeah, that's the other girl. Yeah, Jenna, the other girl, finishes her painting and shows it to Miss Briar. And Briar says, oh, splendid, now you must sign it. And she's like, that seems weird, I don't want to sign the painting. Yeah, she's talking about how she didn't start that painting, like, she wasn't the one who created that painting, she just finished the painting. But through some very uh, shaky logic, the curator manages to convince her to sign the painting. And through the power of cutting from a different scene and then back again, we see that somehow this act has caused Jenna to vanish. And now her likeness is now in the painting itself. Yeah, she was painting a picture of a bunch of girls. It was like a family portrait of some kind. And now she's in it. Yep. Uh, This is another one of those things that I want to talk about. Do you know how many art instructors I had while I was at university who told me to sign my paintings? Are are you British? Do you who says at university? Do you know what? I've caught myself doing it on multiple occasions and I can never figure out why. I damn you for pointing it out. When I was in college, <laughs> fuck off. Do you know how many of my college professors told me to sign my paintings? I'm going to guess between 0 and 1. You are correct. It is none of them. No, no one tells you to sign your paintings. Miss Breyer is adamant about her her students signing these paintings in big black, really distracting uh, paint. Which is which is the exact reason why you don't do that because it distracts from the painting. Like, yeah, it's it's ludicrous. Uh, yeah, but Jenna signs this painting. Jenna disappears, and the paintbrush that she used to paint to finish the painting goes into the wardrobe with the weird severed head. At roughly the same time, maybe not exactly parallel to it, Cody is working on her painting, and she decides she needs a new brush. So she goes to Miss Breyer's personal office, throws open the wardrobe, sees the severed head, but doesn't really think much of it. Sees the fucking head! She's just like, oh, this is eccentric. Time to get a new brush. I, I guess she thinks doesn't it's a Doesn't call the cops. Sculpture? Doesn't poop her pants. <laughs> Officer, I pooped my pants. Nine one one. What is your emergency? <laughs> you gotta help me. I pooped my pants and I'm in an art gallery. Not another one of you kids. These jokes aren't funny. <laughs> no, I was imagining like ambulance, but with a brown light instead of a red one. <laughs> <laughs> we got a special hospital for the likes of you. Anyway, when she goes to grab one of the other brushes. 
Uh, that's when the magic happens. Oh, yes. She touches a brush and we get a hard cut to a completely different scene. Like she's caught a glimpse of someone else's memories. She actually is transported into a garden, right? Is that when this happens? Yeah, she touches she touches it briefly and kind of gets a glimpse. So then she touches it again and she's just transported into this this completely different scene near a river. Yeah, and this scene uses some sort of like digital effects filter to create kind of a, a mosaic lens over everything. Yeah, it's like they put Vaseline on the lens. It's kind of neat. It's it's made to look like um that she's been transported inside of a painting. And that's where she finds a girl in a blue dress. This girl is like staring off wistfully into the distance, and this is a scene actually from one of the paintings we've seen inside of the gallery. The girl turns around really dramatically with this like sense of urgency, and she says, Whatever you do, don't finish the painting. Don't finish the painting. Destroy it before it's too late. And then Cody wakes up and she collapses off a park bench. She somehow through some means she has been teleported outside the art gallery. Yeah, and Lucas finds her. The passage of time in this episode is a little bit unusual. It's hard to tell how much time she spends at the gallery or how much time she's spending in between visits, but her older brother finds her on the ground in the park. Uh, He helps her up, asks her what's going on, and she says, maybe I shouldn't finish that painting. And he actually encourages her to keep doing it. He pulls out her notebook and says, you know, you were having artist block, and since you started working on that painting, you've been sketching all sorts of new things. And he flips through a book, and we see a lot of pictures of people from the ballroom that she was transported into. Like, yes, she's been inspired, but she's been inspired to paint the things that were literally inside of that other painting. So the next time Cody goes to the gallery, she looks around and she sees the painting. She sees the blue lady by the river and is like, oh my god, that's my dream. Goes back to Miss Breyer's office uh, and once again throws open the wardrobe and starts touching a variety of different brushes. And each time she does, we get a glimpse of a different young female artist screaming. Yeah, and one of them is Jenna, even. Sensing that something is very wrong here, uh, she attempts to call her brother and get him to come and pick her up before she's the next victim. Yeah, she tells him that he has to get her out of there, uh, that she's in danger, and then she gets off the phone when Miss Briar shows up. Yes, Miss Briar shows up and is like, what's going on? And she says, oh, I uh, was looking for paint thinner. I finished the painting. And she says, oh, well, that's splendid. Let's show me the finished work. This is another moment where there's no reason for Cody to not freak out and poop her pants. Like, she has figured out what's going on here so much that she's brought another person into it by calling her brother. She knows what's going to happen and she doesn't just, like, push the old lady over and run out. Miss Breyer is surprisingly okay with her student finding the weird severed head in her closet. Yeah, she doesn't, like, even lock it. Like, it's in its own private room. Yeah. <laughs> she could lock She could lock the, the pantry thing or the, the chest, whatever you call it, the wardrobe. She could lock the room. She could put a fucking towel over the head so it's not so obvious. Yeah. Yeah, she could do a lot of things. She doesn't do any of those. Instead, just beckons Cody in to show her the finished painting, which she does. Surprise, it's finally done. The teacher says, oh, you must sign it now. And sign it, Sign it, she it does. In, in big letters with this one specific magical paintbrush. Don't even put your last name on it. Just write Cody real big, as though you are five. Cody realizes this is obviously, she's dealing with some very obvious, like, magic here. 
Yeah, I guess she doesn't feel like like she, maybe she hasn't made the connection that signing it is the final step. She uh, maybe you know maybe she thinks that this old woman has to cast some sort of spell for it to happen. So her plan is I'm going to sign this thing and then I'm going to get out of here. But the second she signs it, she gets drowsy and she kind of faints and she faints into the world of the painting. We get a very Ron Oliver esque moment where Miss What's Her Name starts cackling like a madman and the camera just kind of like. <laughs> pushes down her throat. <laughs> yeah, the camera is like bending and turning at weird angles as it zooms into this woman's mouth while she cackles. Uh, we get to see the painting. It is now finished, and Cody herself is the main sort of like figure in the painting. And then we yeah. dive right into this ball scene. And once again, she's got to get out of this ball. This is the point in the episode where things go bonkers yeah uh she's this is where logic stops applying to anything she's in this dance and she's spinning around in circles we keep cutting back and forth between her inside of the dance and her brother who has rushed over to the hunter gallery he encounters miss briar he says hey my sister's here she says that's bullshit and he says no way she was working on a painting he pulls out the drawing that cody did based on the painting he said she was working on a painting that looked like this and uh, and Miss Briar says, nope, nothing like that. Well, she says, well, let me go check in the back. Meanwhile, Cody is trapped in this this magical ball while, while a weird, fucked up, dissonant version of that piece of classical music plays over and over again. Yep. And she's thinking, how am I going to get out? How am I going to get out? When suddenly, for no obvious reason, she spots her own paintbrush on the ground? No, well, she had it in her hand the whole time. When she was teleported into the painting, she was teleported in with the paintbrush because she'd been holding it when she signed the painting. And so she has the paintbrush, like, she carried it in with her. It's just not really drawn attention to until she drops it. Uh, her dance partner, like, scoops her up and starts spinning her around, and when he scoops her up, she drops the paintbrush. And when she hears it hit the ground, she looks over and sees it. She eventually puts two and two together and grabs the paintbrush and snaps it. And as soon as she does, she bolts upright and she's back in uh, the art gallery. Well, we should mention that when Miss Briar leaves Lucas and says, I'll go check and see, Miss Briar goes back and grabs the painting. And the signature on it has transformed so that it now says Miss Briar. We realize that all of the paintings in the gallery that have her signature on them were actually done by other people, and as soon as they sign their name to it, they get sucked inside the painting, and her name replaces theirs. Like, she owns them now. Um, yes. So she grabs this painting, we get a close-up on that signature, and she says, There will be others. Then she burns the painting. Yeah, she chucks it in a dumpster and just lights it up. Yeah, she's getting rid of the evidence that Cody was ever here. And when Cody does break the paintbrush... The room is full of smoke at that point. Like, the, the, the scene that she is in is billowing with smoke. So yeah, she, is n she has narrowly avoided being immolated. Yep. Uh, when she snaps the paintbrush, she teleports back into the art gallery. Yeah, meanwhile, her brother has gone outside to, to confront the, the art curator, and suddenly the old lady curator is gone and has been replaced by the weird black-clad girl from the beginning of the episode. Yeah, the one with the hat. And Brother Lucas is like, where's, what's her name? And the girl's like, there's someone you need to meet. I think you'll like him. Yeah, she's, is she going to take him to the head? That's what's happening, right? 
As this is happening, Cody, inside the gallery, throws open the cupboard one more time and finds the head. And we get the moment that we've all been waiting for the entire episode. This bonkers, the head comes to life. This bonkers head wakes up. And it looks goofy as all get out. It's got these buggy eyes, but it's so hard to take this thing seriously. Like, <laughs> it just looks like your grandfather or something. You know, just like a, a nice old man. It wakes up with this big old smile on his face and says, Become a hunter for me and live forever. And Cody's like, uh-uh, I don't think so, head. Grabs all the paintbrushes from inside and runs away. So now we've sort of got all of the pieces. Uh, this... I, I disagree, but we'll come back to that. <laughs> and we've got all the pieces that we're going to get. Cody runs outside with all these paintbrushes and says, Listen, old lady, I've put it all together. You've been trapping young artists in these paintings using these magical paintbrushes and somehow, for some reason, this severed head in your closet is rewarding you with eternal life for doing this. Yep. She says, oh, you figured it out, but who is going to stop me? And she says, all your victims. And she she throws all of the paintbrushes into the burning uh, dumpster. And for the second time in as many episodes, we see our main villain engulfed in flames. She gets the same sort of fire effect but not as good. We first we see the severed head, like Wizard of Oz style. the The visage of this severed head kind of rises out of the flames, screaming. Yeah, I I like that a lot. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, and then moments later, the severed head turns into the head of the the old art curator, who's also screaming and covered in fire. And then finally, the fire dies down, and we see Jenna, the other artist, wander out from the darkness, asking, "What happened?" And no one really has an adequate answer for that. This is, she says, like, Cody says exactly what you would say. Uh, Jenna's like, what happened? And she's like, it was the, it was Miss Briar. And Jenna says, who was she? And Cody says, I don't think we'll ever know. Which is just the least satisfying conclusion to a story possible. We get the closing narration from Gary where he says that Cody got over her artist block and had plenty of inspiration from the the souls she freed from Miss What's-Her-Name. Yeah. Uh, I really, really, really wanted a closing scene that was just a mirror image of the end of Ghastly Grinner, where it's like, Cody's become a really successful artist, and there are, like, lines around the block <laughs> as she sits at a table with a pair of sunglasses, like, signing prints of her paintings. Her brother looks like a hacker from The Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we don't get anything as satisfying. What we do get is a sort of pan across all of the paintings that we've seen in the gallery, and now the faces of all of the characters in the painting are gone. And I guess all of the victims of Miss What's-Her-Name have been set free. They've all gone... (laughs) To hell, question mark? Straight to hell. Um, This is just like in The Tale of the Quiet Librarian. Where Cody was able to save Jenna, but not any of the other girls. Yeah. Like, you only are allowed to save the people who were alive when the episode started. But if someone was trapped before the episode started, then they're just dead. And hey, at least you've set their spirits free. Which I guess is a mildly satisfying resolution. But, like, this witch still killed a lot of people. 
we cut back to the Midnight Society. We get pretty much the usual conclusion that you would expect. Everyone says, great story. Gary yeah. actually says, thank you. Yeah, the pat on the back ending. Tucker says, thanks for covering me, man. I'll have a great story ready by next week. And Gary says, it's all right. I can't wait to hear your story next week. <laughs> and Eli, I can't wait to hear Tucker's great story next week. Yeah. Next week, when we get the tale of the closet keepers, this is going to be a Kiki story. The fuck? That was the tale of the unfinished painting. Yeah, that's the tale of the unfinished painting. I am amazed we got through that as efficiently as we did. This episode suffers from a lot of the problems that a lot of episodes suffer from. Such as what, Eli? Well, a tenuous connection between the stuff that's happening with the Midnight Society and the stuff that's happening in the story. The Mm -hmm. characters Mm -hmm. run around a whole lot. Like, there are a whole lot of different scenes that, that are sort of disconnected. It's kind of hard to tell the passage of time, when things are occurring, how much time has occurred between them. Uh, unsatisfactory endings where we don't know all of what's going on and maybe they weren't able to save everybody. There are a lot of things like that that happen in random episodes throughout this season mainly, but throughout the entirety of, of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And this one just has all of those piled on top of each other. I, I completely agree. This suffers from a lot of the same problems that especially these season four episodes have seen where it's just like it's really hard to get invested in them for one reason or another before i even complain about the stuff i didn't like let me just say what i did like about this episode sure it won't be very long i thought this episode did a, a decent job at creating atmosphere i totally agree if there's one thing this episode did succeed at it's making you believe that this art gallery is a creepy foreboding place to be yeah there are a lot of scenes done with, like, it's not dramatic lighting like what DJ will do in his episodes, but it's, like, this low, soft lighting that makes everything feel kind of dark and, like, melancholy. There are a lot of neat effects that are done just with either cutting to a different scene or by, like I said earlier, having the hand reach into frame. It's just, like, very simple things that are effective. A severed head with its eyes closed inside of a wardrobe? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Like, there are a lot of things in this episode that are done really, really well. And what I will say about this episode, and it's not something we say very often, is I think this episode was incredibly well directed and very poorly written. I think you are exactly right. So, you know. Because the story of this episode makes no sense. Yeah, it, it, it has pieces. I feel like if this could have been an hour or an hour and a half long movie and they could have fleshed out... Uh, the origin and the rules a little bit better. The idea of this ancient severed head creature who has imbued people with everlasting life as long as they bring him souls. Cool. I'm on board, right? Like feeding souls to a creepy severed head. Cool. Stealing people's souls by trapping them in a painting. Okay, cool. I'm on board. Doing that by making them like put them like literally put themselves into the painting i get the metaphor there i just don't think that this executed it well enough this makes that process feel so convoluted and like unnatural like how did this scheme possibly work ever and it would be less annoying if they didn't pay really strong attention to specific rules like having to finish the painting with one brush seems ludicrous to me why couldn't it just be that like 
when they sign the painting, that's the moment that they are captured, you know? Like, yeah, like the whole idea of that this there's this all powerful severed head, but it's its power is contingent upon using special magical paintbrushes. Yeah, like he should be able to trap them in in in, in the painting by itself or in the last brush that they use, like the moment that the painting is finished. That's when they're captured. And, and the rule like that- like this episode spared us the the usual exposition dump that we are used to getting in season four, where like halfway through the episode, someone will explain the entire plot. Yeah. But, I mean, this kind of shows what happens uh, in the absence of those exposition dumps, where instead you're getting a bunch of information on the back end. It feels very rushed and very sloppy. Yeah. But the atmosphere uh, was great. The acting was good. The special effects were all fine. You know, this episode really did have everything going for it except for plot. Uh, So all of that in mind, do you want to ask the question? Ah, yes, for the 50th time or so, I'll ask you, Eli. You scared of this? Nah. Nah, I'm not scared of this. (laughs) An emphatic nah. This episode would have scared me as a kid, and I can tell you why. It's because when I was in second and third grade, I took private art lessons. I would go to the local university. I would go to college, whatever you want to say, Dicus. Uh... And there was a college art student there who was my art teacher. I would ride the elevator up to the seventh floor of the art gallery, and we would go into one of the studios, and I would paint and draw and sculpt. Uh, My mom would drop me off on campus, and I would walk the rest of the way myself. And I was scared of every part of it. I was scared of riding up the elevator by myself. I was scared of walking through the hall of the art gallery by myself. If my teacher wasn't there yet and I had to wait alone... The gallery scared me. Like, I was I was a big old wuss. And if I had seen this episode at that time, it would have only reinforced all of that. So, like, I definitely would have been scared just of those parts of it. And then I saw the movie The Witches. I saw that movie where the kid gets trapped in the painting, and that scared the shit out of me. That movie scared the shit out of me as a kid. So, getting trapped in paintings, I was scared of it. Walking through art galleries alone, in the dark, very scared of that too. Severed head with, like that suddenly animates very very scary there are a lot of scary things in this that would have scared me as a kid um but at this point they just all came across as kind of boring or silly i will agree i did not find this one scary i probably would have found it scary as a kid just for the head yep like the the severed head was such a a frustrating thing for me in this episode because for most of it until the very end, it's really like the most compelling part of the episode. It's this thing that we keep seeing off and on. For the first, you know, 18 minutes, we have no idea what its purpose is. Yeah. But then, like, when it finally wakes up and starts talking, it's so silly. Like, that head was so much scarier when it was just sitting there inanimate, like, before it had dialogue or a motive. <laughs> You know, I think about how Cody got sucked into the painting and then suddenly she was in this different world. I think what could have made the head work is if instead of it just opening its eyes and being alive in the wardrobe, when the head communicated with her, if it just like pulled her into some sort of alternate plane, right? Like if this was just the head of a dead god and whenever it wanted to talk to her, she was teleported like we we've already got extra planar travel happening in this 
So if it had just taken mm-hmm. her to some spooky ethereal realm that was mostly like just black void, sort of like what we got in the Crimson Clown, that would have solved that problem. And then we could have seen the fully embodied figure rather than this goofy disembodied head with like a silly face. Uh, not scared of this. This is just a frustrating episode because it does so many things well, and yet it comes across as so unsatisfying, like, in its totality. Yep. So, there you have it. That is the tale of the unfinished painting. Good job, David Winning. Good job, Jewel State. Good job, everyone involved, except for Lucy Falcone, I guess. Better luck next time, Lucy. Better luck next time. And speaking of next time, let's talk about The Tale of the Closet Keepers. Eli, this title makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) The Tale of the Closet Keepers is Is going to be... If this episode is not about fucking R. Kelly, then I have a problem with it. (laughs) Just like M. Night Shyamalan was allegedly inspired by the tale of uh, the dream girl yeah yeah r kelly was inspired by the tale of the closet keepers we've already established this is going to be a a kiki story for some tucker doesn't even have another story this season yeah this definitely proves that uh the episodes we're seeing are not all of the stories that the midnight society are telling we've talked about that in the past where people will say oh i'm up next week or oh you went last week and that wasn't true uh obviously whatever story uh, Tucker ends up telling we don't get to see it because next we have a Kiki story and after that you don't think next week's episode is going to begin with Tucker pulling Kiki aside and being like <laughs> Kiki I still can't come up with a story <laughs> yeah uh, hopefully that'll be what happens I haven't watched next week's episode yet but if it's not that then we just have to assume we, we completely miss out on getting to see Tucker's story uh, next yeah. week's episode is going to be interesting because the Wikipedia lists the antagonist as the zookeepers who's the perp a dangerous villain known as the zookeeper who commits crimes aided by a pack of highly trained animals pack of highly got it uh so please definitely join us for episode 51 of are you afraid of the dark the tale of the closet keepers or the zookeepers or whatever um and until then where can everyone find us trapper keepers people can follow us online at facebook.com slash you scared of this which is our primary form of online interaction. Lots mm-hmm. of fun discussions happening there. Mm-hmm. So we'll post all the episodes when they go up. You can follow us on Twitter, at you scared of this if that's more your style. You can hear our entire back catalog at soundcloud.com slash this. And of course, if you want to help us out, please leave us a rating and or review on iTunes. Helps grow the podcast. We appreciate it. Yeah, so we'll see you all online, and until next week, uh, I hereby declare this episode of You Scared of This closed. They'll never take my glass elephant! (laughs) Hey, Chucky, you want some caviar? I'll call Pat Sajak. He'll know what to do. Chas, pull yourself together. It's over.